Praise the Lord, everybody. It's good to be in church with you tonight. I hope you have your Bibles closed. We're going to get into the word of the Lord. Brother Mueller was talking, and he mentioned God knowing all the hairs on your head. And it reminded me of a conversation I had with my son the other day. We were reading that scripture, how God knows every hair on your head. And he looked at me and said, Dad, it's getting easier for God to count your hairs. So I immediately spanked him and put him to bed without dinner. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't do that. But praise God, nothing like kids to make you feel good. <laughs> Amen. Well, I feel the Lord in this place tonight, and I... I'm, I'm kind of wrestling with how I want to teach this even now, but we're just going to dive in and I'm going to I'm going to let you be seated. I want to talk about uh, a subject that is a direct quote from the scripture, and I'll go ahead and give you my title before I read my scripture. I'm going to be teaching. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Can you look at your neighbor and just say that to him? Say it encouragingly. Let not your heart be troubled. Look at your other neighbor and say, peace, peace, peace that passes understanding. Now, if you have your Bible, I want to take you to Matthew 23 and 6, and then I'm going to go to John 14 and 1. Matthew 24 and 3. I'm sorry. I believe I said Matthew 23. Matthew 24 and verse 3. And this is Jesus speaking. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us when shall, we, shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. This is Jesus responding to them. They said, How are we going to know that the world is wrapping up? How are we going to know that all of this is ending? And Jesus responded and in part and said, and ye shall hear of wars and rumor of wars, but see that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. So Jesus mentions all of these uh, pretty terrifying things. How many think that uh, most of those things sound pretty terrifying? It's going to be war. It's going to be famine. It's going to be earthquakes. It's going to be pestilence. There's going to be uh, all kinds of climactic changes and ecological changes. And there's going to be fighting. And there's going to be distress. And there's going to be anger. And all of this is going to be boiling over. And then in the middle of all of this calamity, Jesus pauses and he says, and see that ye be not troubled. In the middle of all of these terrible things that will be happening, I don't want you to be fearful. I don't want you to be afraid. I don't want you to be reactionary. I want you to be not troubled. What an amazing thing that is for Jesus to say to his people that he wants us to be calm and peaceful even in the end times. How many believe we're living in the end times? It's not the will of God for the church to be terrified of the end times. It's not the will of God for the church 
to be fearful of what is about to happen. The church needs to be not troubled because we know that all of these things must happen. But in the midst of all of this that is happening, God is with us. God is for us and God is able to bring us through. And then I want to go to John 14 and one here. He says again, speaking to his disciples, he said, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So here we have the secret to peace. Everyone said peace. We have the secret to calm in the middle of pain, in the middle of end time prophecy. And for the early church, it was in the middle of persecution. Do you know it was very difficult to be a Christian in the early church? It was, it was a hard thing to be a Christian. They were persecuted. Many times they were burned at the stake and they gave their lives. Peter gave his life for the gospel most of the apostles, in fact, all of the apostles gave their life for the gospel. It was not an easy thing, and yet they had peace in the middle of all of that. How could they have that peace? It wasn't because everything was easy. It wasn't because everything worked out just right for them. They had peace because they knew that God was preparing a place for them in glory, and that's where their treasure was. You can have peace in the middle of the storm when you know where your destination is, when you're not living for this world. Here's the problem. Here's the problem with modern Christianity, though. Our peace is oftentimes wrapped up in superficial things. In other words, we think to ourselves, if I could just be healthy, I would have peace. If I could just be wealthy. Anybody ever thought that before? If I just had a little more money, I could have peace. If, if I just had popularity, maybe if I just had some fame, maybe if I had this going for me, or, or maybe if my family was different, or, or maybe if my loved ones were different, maybe if I would have been treated differently as a child, I would have peace right now. But here's the problem. All of those things are superficial things. In reality... Our Christian hope, our Christian peace is rooted in the reality that God is preparing a place for us in glory. Our peace is not rooted in earthly things. Our peace is not rooted in how we're feeling right now. Did you know that you can have peace and be in pain at the same time? How many have ever known a great Christian, you know, who is in, in pain and uh, I we're going to get a little heavy here, and I, I knew that we would, and I, I wrestled with it already. I've already done it. That's all right. How many have ever been with a, an elder saint in their, in their final hours in this world? Someone who had dedicated their life to the Lord. And in those final hours, even though they were in pain in their body, even though they knew it was the end, you could go into that room with them and sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch. I once was lost, but now I'm found. And you could feel the peace of God that passes understanding in the middle of that pain, in the middle of that sorrow, 
in the middle of impending loss, in the middle of all of that, there was a peace that came into that room, unspeakable peace, peace that you can't, you can't even explain, you can't even comprehend it, but it is not an earthly peace, it's a heavenly peace, because our peace is not of this world. Our peace cannot be rooted in this world. If it is, if we try to wrap our well-being and our peace into the things, the finite things of this world, we will always be miserable. We will always be undone. And so I came to preach for just a minute here and remind somebody that your peace is rooted in Jesus Christ. Your peace comes from the heavenly throne. That's where it comes from. Yes, it does. And the reason that there are so many preachers and, and so many modern Christians, and I'm preaching to myself right now, that are they are trying to serve God and yet they don't have peace is because they're trying to find peace in this world and your peace does not come from this world. Your peace comes from God. It comes from the very throne of God. Now, there's a place in God that you can go to that is inexplicable. It's a place of peace. I'll take you to the next slide. And we're going to look at Psalm 125 and verse 1. There's a place in God that you can go to where everything can be a calamity around you, and yet you can remain calm. You can be calm in the midst of the storm, much like Jesus remained calm. Remember when he was in the boat and the storm arose suddenly upon them and he was asleep and the disciples uh, began uh, to shout. In fact, they were a little frustrated with Jesus because he's sleeping in the back of the boat and this storm is all around them. And yet Jesus is sleeping and then when he finally wakes up, ever, ever, it ever felt like Jesus was sleeping? Nobody's human here tonight. That's all right. Y'all just fake it till you make it. That's okay. And, and when he finally did wake up, you know, they wanted him to do what they were doing. Have you ever tried to get God to do what you were doing? <laughs> it doesn't work too well. When you start trying to get God to do what you're doing, that's, that's usually a problem. And, and they're thinking, you know, you should be panicking like we're panicking. You should be rising to, to the, the fearfulness of this situation. And Jesus just stays calm and he speaks to the waves and they're still. He never, he never, uh, he never has a, a tantrum. Jesus never... Uh, throws a fit, he just remains calm. He illustrated to us what it means to have peace in the midst of calamity, peace in the midst of a storm. It is possible to be a child of God and to go through great trial with peace. It's possible to receive a negative report from the doctor, and you don't have to be happy about it, but you can have heavenly peace. It's possible for someone to hurt you and for you to be wronged. But if you are in that secret place of the most high God, you can react with peace. It doesn't mean you like it. It doesn't mean you feel good, but you can have a supernatural peace. Do you know when you see people reacting in anger to every little thing that offends them? It means they do not have godly peace because they are reacting to the storm rather than Dwelling in the secret place of the Most High God. 
People who walk in peace, godly peace, they're not reacting to every little thing that doesn't go their way. They're not even reacting to the big things. That's not to say you don't suffer. It doesn't mean you don't cry. It doesn't mean you don't feel pain. It doesn't make you a robot, but it does mean you can have peace. Peace. Our world needs peace. Peace in the midst of the storm. You know, they talk about this place, and you've heard it mentioned before. There's a, there's a place in the deepest depths of the oceans, there are certain spots that are so far down beneath the, the moving of the oceans. You know, the oceans are constantly moving. That's why the tides come in. If you, you can go to a beach, and I've done it before, and you can walk way out onto that, uh, that beach front and walk way, 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 way down, and the water is, is way receding. And then if you stay there for a few hours, there's a certain time in the day when that water will start rushing in. And in some places, it can be very dangerous. And if you stay there, it can literally come up to your head and your neck and, and go above you. And you have to back up and back up. And sometimes you have to get up on the hill a little bit because the oceans are constantly in turmoil. That's how they re refer to oceans. They're, they're in upheaval. They're in turmoil, and they're moving, and it's connected to the sun and the moon and the stars. All of this is, is constantly flowing, and it's the largest body of water, and it's connected, and it's coming, and it's going, and it creates upheaval underneath the water. That's why you can get caught in the tides. That's why you can get swept out under the ocean. You ever heard of that before where somebody's out swimming in the ocean, and they get swept out? They get caught up in that pool, that turmoil of the ocean, and sometimes you never see them again. It's a very dangerous place. The ocean is incredibly powerful. And yet there is a place that scientists speak of. It's, they call it the cushion of the sea. It's in the deepest depths, and, and they go all the way down, and they've studied this, and they find that where you would expect there to be all kinds of upheaval, it is perfectly calm and peaceful, and nothing is disturbed in that place. It's the cushion of the sea. The psalmist uh, spoke of such things when it comes to our, our rest in God, our ability to have peace in God. You can get to a place where everything above you and everything beside you and everything behind you can be in turmoil, but you can rest in the cushion of God's protection. You can rest in that place where, where you can rely on him completely. The psalmist said, they that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed. Everyone said, nothing can move it, but abideth forever as the mountains are round about Jerusalem. So the Lord is round about his people. How many want God to be a fence around you? How many want God to be a shelter around you? How many want God to protect you from the things that are circling around your life? He can be that for his people from henceforth, even forever. For the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous, lest the righteous put forth their hands unto iniquity. In other words, if now if you start sinning, you're going to remove yourself from the protection. Sin brings turmoil into your life. Sin removes you from that protected place. Lest they... Lest they uh, Put forth their hands unto iniquity. Do good, O Lord, unto those that be good and to them that are upright in their hearts. As for such as turn aside unto their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them forth with the workers of iniquity. But peace shall be upon Israel. How many want to have peace today? Peace today that comes from God. Now, uh, I'm going to, I'm just going to warn you. Uh, 
I already know I'm going to lose some people here, but, and I'm going to get heavy. So, uh, y'all okay? Take a deep breath. Smile. Smile real big. Smile. All right. Sigh. Let it out. Good. Do, do some calisthenics. Wake up. I've been thinking, and the minute I say it, I'm going to feel the oxygen go out of room, but I'm going to say it anyway. I've been thinking about this, um, this tragic shooting in Florida. See, did you feel it? It just all just went out of the room. And, uh, and what I've really been thinking about the most is, is all of the people who are asking themselves, why are these things happening? Why is this happening? Why, uh, you know, we've, uh, we've got this unprecedented problem with young men. Even recently, there was a young lady in another school. And you have young men and you even have middle-aged men, and there, there is a sense of hopelessness in this world, a sense of madness, you could say, that grips people to do unspeakable things. And the world, uh, and when I say the world, society at large, really has no idea how to handle this problem. But what we have is a peace problem. We have a peace problem in our world. We have a world that is so full of angst and anger and bitterness and confusion and frustration. And, and uh, this is a, a politically incorrect thing to say, but men, young men, are more confused than they have ever been. Young men don't have role models anymore. Uh, the homes are broken up. Fathers are missing. You have a, a societal foundation that is crumbling and, and you have a philosophical foundation that is crumbling. Religious institutions are crumbling. And I, I see, I knew it's going to get heavy, but we're going to talk about it anyway. We're talking about peace. And so you have, you have men that are so full of, of vile and they are a product now I'm not removing any one person from their individual responsibility. They will stand before God on their own. But society is not blameless. A society full of lust and greed. And, and you can argue with me all day long. And you're not going to tell me that the movies they're watching and the video games they're playing aren't play, making an impact on their frame of mind. And you can tell me all day long it's their fault or their fault, but you can't tell me the fact that we have fewer and fewer homes with moms and dads in them. And you can't tell me that's not wreaking havoc on young men's hearts and minds. Because men are not standing up and being men. Men won't stay faithful to their wives. Men won't stay faithful to God. And so the fabric of our society is breaking apart. But this didn't happen overnight. This isn't something that we just woke up one day and here we are. This is a product of hundreds of years of bad thinking, toxic thinking, that has formulated in the hearts and minds of a society. For the most part, America likes to call itself a Christian nation, and I like to think that much of it is, but most of American Christianity is what I call Christian in name only. That's unpopular, and I know you can call me unpatriotic, but it's true. The average American Christian uh, gives lip service to Christianity, but it does not affect their actual lives. 
That's why you can have a politician who quotes the Bible on Monday and cheats on his wife on Tuesday. Because they're a Christian in name only. They quote the Bible when it does them good. They, they give the performance of being a Christian when they think it helps them. Societally, it helps them. But in their actual daily lives, and how many know that real Christianity impacts your daily life? It's not just something you talk about. It's not just showing up to church, you know, every third Sunday or something like that. Actual Christianity, you have to lay down your nets and follow Jesus. That's what real Christians do. And so we've had this kind of faux Christianity that's built kind of a societal version of Christianity, but it's not real Christianity. And then because of that and, and actually impacting that, we've, we have a growing group of what I call agnostics and atheists and naturalists and people who reject God altogether. And we have an, an entire uh, realm of science in our schools that teaches that there is no God. They teach that we came from monkeys and that we all evolved and there was a big bang. And then they took the Ten Commandments out. Thou shalt not murder. So that's controversial. You know, there's been a big push the last few weeks. They've been saying, well, why can't we just, we won't put the entire Ten Commandments back up on the school boards. But maybe we could just, for a, a week or two, we could just go in and put thou shalt not murder on the school billboards just as a sign that we're standing against this violence that's been happening in our schools. And even that is controversial. And we wonder why we have no peace in our world. We took prayer out of school. We took the Ten Commandments out of school. We took the Bible out of school. And then violence came into our schools. We, play, we replaced religion with secularism. And so now you can't even talk about Jesus in school. But you can worship at the altar of science all day long. But it leaves people with absolute hopelessness and despair. And so uh, if I haven't lost you already, I'm going to take you. I'm going to read very quickly, and then I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be long, I promise. This is going to feel like I'm going to go all night on this, but I won't. How many are familiar with Friedrich Nietzsche, the uh, German philosopher? And he's most famous. We usually just kind of quote his one line where he said, God is dead. How many are familiar with that? You heard Nietzsche famously said, God is dead. Well, he, he said that in a parable that he wrote in 1882. And he was German, of course. And it was a, a parable that he titled The Parable of the Madman. The Parable of the Madman. And, and this was uh, at the turning of a century. And he was influencing Western, including American philosophy and thought, and he was responding to the demise of religion, and, and philosophers and scientists were beginning to view religion as dying, and they were looking at the rise of science and philosophy to replace religion. The humanistic hope, everybody okay? The humanistic hope was that philosophy would replace religion and create a utopia. The hope was that Man-made philosophies could literally be better for humanity than belief in God. That was their hope. And that's what Nietzsche believed. And so he wrote this parable. 
and he said this, have you not heard of that madman who lit a lantern in the bright morning hours, ran to the marketplace and cried incessantly, I seek God, I seek God. As many of those who did not believe in God were standing around just then, he provoked much laughter. Has he got lost, asked one. Did he lose his way like a child, asked another. Or is he hiding? Is he afraid of us? Has he gone on a voyage, immigrated? Thus they yelled and laughed. The madman jumped into their midst and pierced them with his eyes. Whither is God, he cried. I will tell you, we have killed him, you and I. All of us are his murderers. But how did we do this? How could we drink up the sea? Who gave us the sponge to wipe away the entire horizon? What were we doing when we unchained this earth from its sun? Whither is it moving now? Whither are we moving? Away from all suns. Are we not plunging continually backward, sideward, forward in all directions? Is there still any up or down? Are we not staying as through an infinite nothing? Do we not feel the breath of empty space? Has it not become colder? Is not night continually closing in on us? Do we not need to light lanterns in the morning? Do we hear nothing as yet of the noise of the grave diggers who are burying God? Do we smell nothing as yet of the divine decomposition? Gods too decompose. God is dead. God remains dead. And we have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What was holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives? Who will wipe this blood off us? What water is there for us to cleanse ourselves? What festivals of atonement? What sacred game shall we have to invent? Is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? Must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? There has never been a greater deed. And whoever is born after us, for the sake of this deed, he will belong to a higher history than all history hitherto. Here the madman fell silent and looked again at his listeners, and they too were silent and stared at him in astonishment. At last he threw his lantern to the ground, and it broke into pieces and went out. I have come too early, he said then. My time is not yet. This tremendous event is still on its way, still wandering. It has not yet reached the ears of men. Lightning and thunder require time. The light of the stars requires time. Deeds, though done, still require time to be seen and heard. This deed is still more distant from them than most distant stars, and yet they have done it themselves. They have killed God. What Nietzsche was saying is that the death, his perceived death of God and his perceived death of religion the effects of it were not yet felt because society needed to replace something for God. In his mind, society would replace science for God. In his mind, society would replace naturalism for God. In his mind, you would look into yourself and find strength. In fact, you know, one of my pet peeves is, is when people will say, uh, well, that's my truth. Anybody ever heard anyone say that? That's my truth. That's just your truth. Well, there's no such thing as your truth and my truth. There's just truth. You don't get to have your own version of truth. I don't get to have my own version of truth. Truth is true and true is true. But Nietzsche was the one who said, who first began to coin 
uh, a version of that phrase that said, you know, you need to find what is right for you. You need to find the truth that is true for you. It was nihilism. It was humanism. And he began to look to that and he said, God is dead. And then he prophesied and he really did in his own humanistic, secular way. And he said, you don't even see the effects of it yet. Even lightning takes a while to hear. Even deeds, though done, take time to respond to. And this death of religion, this dying breath of belief in God, it's going to take some time and then people will feel the effects of it. And I contend that we are feeling the effects of it over a hundred years later as people step into schools with guns and no hope in their heart and they mow down people that they don't even know because they are feeling the effects of a society that has declared that God is dead. It's exactly what's happening. The effects of people that are hopeless and in complete despair. And yet in the midst of all of that, the church is a city set on a hill that needs to cry out with all their heart. God is not dead. He's alive. God is not dead. He's alive. Hallelujah. And there is a reason that dead, dried up churches that do not have the Holy Ghost are hemorrhaging members day and night. And churches that are full of the spirit are growing because the way that you know God is alive is not just through your intellect. You know that God is alive because you can feel him in your hands. The old song said you can feel him in your feet. You can feel him all over you. You can feel him way down in your soul. Somebody ought to clap your hands and say, I, I, I woke up this morning and I felt him. I went to work this morning and I felt him. I came to church and I lifted my hands and I felt him because God is alive and God is real and God is moving and his peace passes understanding. I don't have to respond to the trials of this world with hopelessness because I have a peace that only God can give. Godlessness only brings despair, but God brings peace. That's what God does. And so let me take you to the next slide, and I'm, I'm moving quickly here. And I want to I give you a few truths about peace. And I want to start in John 14 and 26. And this is what the apostolic church, how many know we're an apostolic church? And I know it's Wednesday night, and I got heavy on you, but I want to remind you of something. The apostolic church has something real, and we are not going to be able to help people who are in despair if we come to church and go through the motions, we need to understand what Jesus said in John 14. But the comforter. How many know this world needs a comforter? How many are thankful the Holy Ghost is a comforter? But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace. Everyone said my peace. I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And so here's a few truths about peace going to the next slide. Number one, peace is imparted. Everyone said imparted. Peace is imparted. In other words, it's not something that you can just take or grab. It's something that God has to give to you. It's not just something you can say, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab a hold of peace and it's mine now. No, no. Peace is imparted and it's imparted by God. And peace comes through Jesus. How many are thankful you know the name Jesus tonight? It comes through his blood. It comes through his sacrifice. It comes through his work in this world. He gives peace and Jesus imparts peace to us through the working of the Holy Ghost. That's why I wouldn't be in a church that didn't have the operation of the Holy Ghost. 
We need the manifestation of the Holy Ghost in our churches. The Holy Ghost imparts peace to us. How many have ever been in a church service where you, you stepped in and you were feeling weary and well-doing and you were feeling tired in your spirit and you were discouraged and you stepped into the presence of the Holy Ghost and you lifted up holy hands without wrath or doubting and all of a sudden as that heavenly language began to flow through you, as you began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit gave the utterance, all of a sudden you felt a warmth from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. It was a peace that can only come from God. We need a revival of Holy Ghost peace in our churches. We need a revival of praying until we speak in other tongues. Sometimes you just need to pray in the spirit. Sometimes you just need to get in a prayer closet and pray until the Holy Ghost comes. If, if you're weary and well-doing, pray until the Holy Ghost shows up. If you're discouraged, pray until the Holy Ghost shows up. If you don't know what to do next, pray and worship until the Holy Ghost shows up. If you don't know the answer, pray until the Holy Ghost shows up. If you don't know what you're going to do, pray until the Holy Ghost shows up. Because that is where the peace comes from. Peace. Heavenly peace that comes from God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We talked about this a few Wednesdays ago, but another manifestation of the Holy Ghost is, is tongues and interpretation. And we mentioned if, if you've ever been in a tongues and interpretation, and we talked about that great calm. But you know what I'm talking about? That, that heavenly calm where even babies stop crying and all of a sudden the tongues go forth and the interpretation. What is that? That is peace. That's peace that the Holy Ghost imparts and it's heavenly and it's not, you can't manufacture it. You can't make it happen. It comes from God. It is peace that passes understanding. That's what we need. That's why we need the gifts of the Spirit operating in our church because that is where the peace comes from. Without peace, we are no different than the world. The world doesn't have peace. And if we don't have peace, we're not of God. Because we can walk in peace because not of who we are, but who God is. Number four, say this with me. Peace is not worldly. Say that with me. Peace is not worldly. Peace doesn't come from the world. Now, you can find happiness sometimes from worldly things. Uh, all right, Brother Duffy, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it, say it this way. Homemade ice cream, Duffy style, better than Bluebell. <laughs> Glory to God. Put a little peanut butter fudge from Mama French and you are in heaven. And that makes me happy. In fact, it makes me really, really happy. But it's not the same thing as peace. Peace and happiness are different things. In fact, sometimes after I ate that whole bowl, Brother Duffy made me a thing of, of uh, homemade ice cream one time. He brought it to me. I was supposed to share it with my wife and kids. I ate it all in one setting. And I didn't even feel guilty about it. Didn't even lose sleep over it. My wife was a little mad at me, but, it, but I'll tell you what happened. I didn't feel peace after that. I felt fat. And, uh, and when my shirt didn't button right the next morning, I didn't feel peace then either. Because happiness can be temporary, but peace is lasting. 
Happiness is a temporary emotion. A lot of Christians are addicted to happiness. We want happiness, but we don't understand the difference between happiness and joy and happiness and peace. You can have joy and peace when you don't have happiness. Nobody's going to be happy about cancer, but you can have peace while you have cancer. Amen? Yeah, you're, you're kind of a lunatic if you're, if you're happy about dying, but you can have peace when you're dying. I know we're getting heavy tonight. But peace is a heavy thing. Peace is not a trite thing. Peace is not worldly. Worldly things can't bring you peace. Worldly things might can bring you some temporary happiness, but peace is imparted through the power of the Holy Ghost. Number five, peace can be hindered. Did you know you can hinder your peace that comes from God? How can you hinder peace? You can hinder peace with doubt. You can hinder peace with fear. You can hinder peace with sin. You can hinder peace with rebellion. You can hinder peace by taking your eyes off the master. You can hinder peace. You can quench. The Bible says to quench not the spirit. You can hinder peace in your life by quenching the spirit, by not responding. That's why I always encourage apostolics. People say we get a little too crazy, but you know what? I would rather err on the side of not quenching the spirit than erring on the side of constantly shutting peace down when I'm in the presence of God. Listen, if someone gets a little too wild, the ministry can tell them, hey, you're getting a little too wild. But I would rather people get a little too wild and have to be told to settle down than people not step into the presence of God. Hello. Yeah, because that's where our peace comes from. And number six, godly peace can be multiplied. Everyone said multiplied. Multiply. How many need more peace? Peace, peace, heavenly peace coming down from the Father above. Sweep over my soul. Hallelujah. Stand with me. I'm closing. Second Peter 1 and 2. Peace can be multiplied. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge. Here's how it's multiplied. Are you listening? Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through what? The knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. You want to have more peace? Get to know Jesus better. You want to have more peace? Get closer to Jesus. You want to have more peace in your life? Take his hand. You want to have more peace in your life? Lay down your nets and follow Jesus as fast as you can. Just get right beside him and say, I don't care if we're going to the Gadarenes and a madman runs out. I'm going to have peace there because you're with me. I don't care if we have to go talk into a tomb until a dead man comes out. I, I, whatever we've got to do, I'm going to have peace there because you're with me. I don't care if we have to go to Golgotha's Hill. It doesn't matter. If you're with me, I'm going to have peace, Lord. It, it doesn't matter if Pontius Pilate says to crucify him. I'm going to go with you. I'm going to follow close to you because where you are, that's where my peace is. It's through the knowledge. It's through the relationship, understanding the communion with the Lord Jesus Christ according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and, everyone say this word with me, godliness. There is no peace apart from holiness. Uh-oh, we lost it again. If you want to have peace, you've got to be like Jesus. You can't just be close to Jesus. You know, Judas was close to Jesus. Mm, we're so heavy tonight. Judas was really close to Jesus, but he wasn't like Jesus. 
You got to do more than follow him. You've got to become like him. You have to become holy as he is holy. You have to become righteous as he is righteous. You have to allow him to impart his righteousness into your life. And you attain that godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Glory and virtue bring peace into our lives. I feel like we need to pray for our world. The Bible instructs us to pray. I feel like we need to pray for our community right now. There are people all around us that are struggling with turmoil in their lives. And they have been raised in a society, in the Nietzsche society, that tells them there's no hope apart from yourself. And when you look in yourself for hope, you will always come up empty. We need to pray that this church would be a lighthouse that would reach out to hopeless people. Can we lift our hands right now and pray that peace would emanate from this church? Lord, I pray that peace would flow from this building. I pray that people would drive by Terra Boulevard and they would feel your peace, your heavenly peace. I, I pray that when visitors walk through the doors of this church, they would feel peace that passes. I pray when angry teenagers walk in the doors of Apostolic Tabernacle, oh God, that they would feel a peace that comes straight from your throne room, Lord. I pray when people who have spent a lifetime in pain and confusion, I pray that when they come into contact with your people, that they would feel the peace that passes understanding. I pray the Holy Ghost would flow in these altars and flow in our vestibule and flow in our parking lot and flow in our jobs and flow in our homes and flow in our Bible studies and flow with us as we step into the supermarket. God, I pray the Holy Ghost would emanate from your people. That everyone we touch, that everyone we communicate with, they would feel the peace of God. And that it would draw them into relationship with you, Lord. That they would feel the missing link in their life when they come into contact with godly people, holy people, righteous people, Holy Ghost-filled people who have peace that passes understanding. I pray that our hearts would not be troubled. I pray that your people would overcome the spirit of fear so that we could be a witness to this world. I rebuke the spirit of fear and intimidation, and I plead the blood of Jesus. Renew our minds. Come on, somebody lift up your hands and ask the Lord to renew your mind. Somebody in this room needs your mind renewed tonight. Somebody stepped into this service with your mind not right. You need to have your mind refreshed and renewed in the Holy Ghost. That'd be all right. It'd be all right to speak in tongues for a minute. We won't stay all night. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Somebody stepped into the service wrestling with depression tonight. You need to go ahead and let the Holy Ghost remove that from you. You need to let the Holy Ghost refresh you right now. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Someone has been fighting the demon of fear in this room tonight, and you need to go ahead and let the Holy Ghost drive that spirit out of your life. Hallelujah. Perfect love casts out all fear. Hallelujah. 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 We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Because where I'm going, you can't follow. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
I'm going to prepare a place for you. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God.